0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Modern Retail podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor here at Modern Retail. This week's episode was recorded live at our Modern Retail Summit. To learn more about our events, go to modernretail.co/events. That's modernretail.co/events. And now here's our live session with Pernell Caesar Jr., the co-founder and CEO of Black and Bold Coffee. Again, this is Purnell Caesar Jr., co-founder, CEO of Black and Bold. Thanks for joining. Sure, man. Let's get into what is the Black and Bold story. How did you get into coffee? You know, uh, what 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 made you decide to enter that business?
1: For sure. So uh, the Black and Bold story is really a story of uh, my childhood best friend and I, uh, you know, growing into our current age and the evolution of our conversations, going from you know teenage boy talk to. Um, You know, wanted to make sure as career professionals, we didn't forget where we came from, um, which is, you know, disadvantaged households in, you know, Gary, Indiana, um, and wanted to make sure that since we were so time strapped and focused on our career, that where we spent our dollars were contributing back to brands that aligned with our values. And, um, you know, taking a look at our everyday habits, uh, coffee and tea were near and dear to both of our lifestyles. And it was one of the first areas that we tapped into and realized that there weren't any brands that really focused on community per se. Uh, We loved the products um, in particular, some of the great quality um, experiences you get from independent shops, you know, within different corners across the U S but it also became more difficult to find that quality when we went to, you know, check off our grocery list. So our overall ethos became, you know, we're passionate enough about this product that we know, Other people are, we also have an opportunity to connect uh, consumers back to their community and uh, also consumers back to uh, great quality of coffee uh, in the everyday places that they shop. And so you think about a wine aisle, per se, and the delicacy of wine, how it's it's, uh, carried around from consumerism. Um, You know, coffee is also a delicate crop that has not been treated that way. Um, And so we're looking to normalize, you know, Higher quality, top shelf coffee, and also normalize uh, consumers making an impact back to their uh, own communities by way of what they purchase uh, in mass and grocery as well as online. And so that's us, black and bold.
0: <laughs> so I feel like that there's a general pathway that specifically specialty coffee often follows, and that's usually uh, it's usually kind of a coffee shop route. Can you talk about when you were first making the the company how you approached? where you wanted to go, where you didn't want to go, and what the overall channel mix was from from the beginning.
1: For sure. So, you know, for us, we had to be very realistic if we're going to pursue this. We're entering into the second highest commodity beverage space, being coffee right behind water. (laughs) And, you know, what the current landscape did look like and where there was opportunity to play. And, you know, what was glaringly obvious is that, you know, when you are shopping in a coffee aisle, in any grocery store, um, let's say excluding Whole Foods per se, who they're more of the leader of, um, there's you know not a premium assortment experience. And so, the more you learn about um, coffee, the delicacy of coffee, the different you know experiences within that, you automatically kind of dis- disqualify what um, typical e-commerce looks like, as well as what you know grocery store looks like because of their shelf limitations in there, how slow they are to. Uh, adopting a more premium assortment because of uh, the concern around price sensitivity more so than knowing that there's a consumer that's already built in the marketplace. We knew we were those consumers. We were shopping these uh, coffee shops. We were very much a part of the coffee shop culture, as I'm sure if you aren't, uh, you know someone that is. uh, But the product experience just kind of fell off the radar once you stepped out of those coffee shops. And so our whole ethos was really just how do we make it easier for people like us to be able to have access to the coffee and not just have to rely on the coffee shop culture to be able to access that great coffee.
0: So how do you go about that, especially iterating on the e-commerce and the in-store experience? Is that just about making your packaging better? How, how, are, how are you making it so that it's more accessible and, and a better selection for, for people?
1: Yep. So knowing that you know, the biggest gap between uh, specialty coffee, high-end coffee, not only is access, but also price point. And for us, we wanted to you know master the product in a way that we could you know, not only bring it to scale and maintain the integrity of it, but also from a business model standpoint, uh, we decided to bypass the coffee shop approach so we didn't have the overhead and we can actually put those savings and cost efficiencies into the product to still, while it's a premium, have it at a more attainable uh, premium price point for mass. And so we're our products equivalent within independent would be more between the 18 and $22 range. Uh, what we sell within grocery and mass is between, you know, $12 and $14 range. And so it allows, again, from a mid tier price point, um, or high end price point per se today being around 10 bucks for coffee and, and conventional grocery. Um, we still are able to you know, bring that consumer, uh um, uh, trade them up per se in the end of the category that really hasn't provided that experience at scale um the other piece is uh for e-commerce when you think about how locally accessible coffee is um and also how clunky it is uh it's expensive to ship on and so forth and so our whole business model was can we convince these consumers that they can also make great quality coffee at home in a scalable enough um um productivity that we can, you know, merit and maintain shelf space while we continue to build out uh, this trade-up story. And so um, what we weren't uh, quite expecting, (laughs) nor was anyone, um, was the impact that COVID would have on the coffee consumer uh, and their shopping behaviors. And so, um, you know, what was, you know, our big hill that we had to climb to prove out our business model ultimately became, um, you know, consumers kind of running downhill towards us looking for coffee and Uh, on e-commerce as well as in these conventional grocery aisles.
0: And that I'm excited you got into that because one of the things I find so fascinating about Black & Bold is that you're such a success story on Amazon. Um, And so can you just talk a little about, A, what is the overall channel mix? How do you... Was it simply that you were in the right place at the right time and people were looking for coffee then? How are you optimizing it now so that it's going to be a continued success?
1: So... You know, our, our channel mix was very much digital, um, e commerce as well as um, mass grocery. And uh, e commerce being really the ethos of the brand, right? We self funded out of the garage and continued to scale up as we got validation points. And, um, you know, our first storefront was our own, you know, blackandbold.com. And so uh, from there, knowing that, you know, we need to be in a third party space or in, in a marketplace that allows for us to, you um, you know, attract and acquire new consumers, Amazon was by far the the best starting point to do so. Uh, We put Amazon, we we launched on Amazon, but kind of put it a little bit on the back burner until we uh, continue to validate the brand awareness by way of brick and mortar. Um, You know, my background is in retail um, CPG and and distribution, so we had a little bit more of a head start in that channel. And so uh, with launching nationally at Target uh, at the beginning of this year, they gave us you know, our brand validation in this crowded space uh, for them to hear out, you know, what we were holistically about in our social impact model, then also allow that to scale back to digital. So when we looked at, you know, Amazon and e-commerce, we were allowing that 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 authority that we were able to gain by way of brick and mortar to tie back into scaling and acquiring new consumers on e-commerce so uh, for Amazon, um, you know, the storefront uh, model and being able to you know, whether it's paid ads, targeted ads, or just by way of you know, um, linking affiliate programs to acquire consumers as we again continue to build momentum across the market. And so uh, we matured our Amazon storefront in February again prior to uh, the impact mm. of COVID. COVID. We just didn't realize that uh, we'd been at the right place at the right time, that consumers would be looking for that opportunity. And you know as we were trying to figure out things ourselves, you know, March and April, um, the small validation points that we did have on you know, our, our distribution growth that we did have with like Whole Foods and launching in, uh, 15 stores in the Midwest, uh, our press release from there just drove significant awareness to where we were located overall, ironically enough, Amazon and our storefront, which allowed for kind of the, the the floodgates to open for consumers that, you know, were, you know, staying at home and, and distancing themselves. So, uh, the uh, model overall for us is to continue to um, leverage um, Amazon, um, our, our brick and mortar, I mean, our, brick and mortar, our e-com, as well as brick and mortar. Uh, right now, uh, over 50% of our business is done on, on our website because we have a breadth of assortment where consumers that know of us and wanna access us, they don't have limitations. And for Amazon, we're continuing to expand and diversify our assortment. So we started with um, bundle packs because of, again, coffee being clunky, and having to make sure the economics on Amazon work. But as we've continued to scale and learn Amazon more, we've now gotten to singles as well, able to broaden that experience out for those consumers. And then we're continuing to build momentum with brick and mortar where we're able to educate our our brick and mortar retail partners on the value of trading up their consumer that's already walking these aisles because somewhere in their community, there's these independent shops that are having 100% market share to the consumer that's looking for that quality. So um, just kind of continue to build the gap uh, I mean, build the spiral that fills the gap for uh, just normalizing accessibility of um, specialty coffee and what it means, again, in the byproduct that be allowing those consumers to have uh, a direct impact back to um, uh, their community. So the one, I, I've said that a few times, but we give 5% of our profits back to initiatives that support disadvantaged youth within the markets that we have distribution. And then when it comes to e-com, we align with national partners that support Um, eradicating food insecurity uh, for uh, children that rely on free and reduced lunch. So it's, again, normalizing domestic impact by way of the everyday habits that we have and also filling the specialty coffee void that exists across all channels, but allowing these channels, since they're so underdeveloped, to play off of each other how we
0: continue to scale. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. It's very interesting that... um... You've pressured up your presence uh, in February. Can you talk a little about how you approach that? And then given the onslaught with uh, with co- coronavirus, with all of that, was it just that you had supply in stock, which sort of helped excel your, your presence there? Or was it that, you know, what, what were you focusing on to make it so that people were understanding exactly who you were and why they should buy your product?
1: So the Amazon store, uh, I, I would I would love to say we in-house all that knowledge. No, we rely <laughs> Uh, you know, Amazon broker partners that uh, we knew already that, you know, uh, you all know what a great partnership is, right? Mutual values, great synergy, so on and so forth. And so we found a partner uh, that was, I would say, equally as hungry as, as we were on, on building out um, their Amazon brokerage. And uh, they helped us build the creative for uh, our storefront. The in, the intention of that, again, from going after Amazon's uh, ecosystem via paid ads and geo-targeting, but also to allow as we are gaining media attention and being able to tell our story to have those links to bring back to Amazon. And that's really where uh, I would say where the magic happened was from media's pickup from, uh, you know, accessibility of specialty coffee, uh, being able to tell the story of this new brand that's in Target and drive that back to econ. And then also with consumers looking for um, uh, coffee online and the specialty coffee industry being so far behind the eight ball because they're 100% committed to making their brick and mortars work. And so uh, there are a lot of the industry playing catch up while we already had that head start because our mindset already was to simplify and normalize, you know, the voids that had already existed. So, um, you know, the comp- continued compound effect of, you know, the quality um, of coffee that we were offering, the accessibility of it, uh, we doubled down on domestic impact during COVID. We did uh, micro uh, campaigns where uh, we were giving back to organizations more so in the immediate uh, by way of care, uh, themed care packages, per se, from April through July. And um, allowed a continued media attention that was able to drive back to our e-commerce experience. And so um can't remember if you had a second part of the question, but <laughs> uh, no, that continue was great. to drive that comment.
0: So, can you talk a little about what what do you see as your number one emphasis as you're as you're building this out? Is it whether they're in brick and mortar, whether they're on Amazon? You want them hopefully to go back to your e-com website. If so, how are you approaching that? Just sort of where you know what is sort of the center of gravity in terms of your where you want people to buy your product.
1: Great question. Would love for them to buy it on our e-commerce. I think the most important piece of that is for them to be um, you know embraced with our content and. Values uh, fully by way of our e-commerce platform, where we own that experience. Um, and so, uh, the secondary part of that is as we continue to scale our distro, uh, as I referenced Amazon uh, and our brick and mortar partners. So, you know, Target, Whole Foods, Hyvee—you um, know, these are partners that you know believe in what we're building, not just from a product standpoint, but an overall, um, you know, quality and impact standpoint. Where we do have those extensions of telling our story, and so. Despite, you know, not being able to have the full experience of, you know, our values and what we stand for on full display outside of our e um we do um, know that, you know, if they're meeting us in any channel that we're in, especially this early on, there are value adds of education of what we stand for associated with where, um, that brand experience or that aha moment with us. So, um, you know, ultimately, you yep, know, bringing them back to home base, but, um you know, as we stand up our, our distro and um, our partners,
0: making sure that our story comes along with that. And can you talk a little about sort of how what, what your planning is in terms of expanding the distribution for a brick and mortar? How, how are you approaching new partners? Uh, what are you looking for? What works? What doesn't just any color with that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the important piece is the consumer that is uh, aligned with their retail their retailer's consumer base. right? And so they're, they're going to know the demographics so on um you know where what stores they have you know, uh, you know uh, uh, middle income upper income um you know mindset lifestyle um demographic for specialty coffee where a consumer may be more primed for that um and so uh, that's number one numero uno for sure the other piece is you know aligning and understanding what we stand for um because again we're with our model, <laughs> you know, we still are self-funded and 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 continue to scale um, efficiently and economically so we can be able to have a greater impact, uh, not just later, but today as well. And so, um, you know, the seamlessness of, you know, direct relationships uh, to keep our economics tight with our partners also allows us to kind of grow with each other, um, you know, allowing them to, um, you know, showcase, you know, what one doing business with, you um, black-owned businesses look like today. Um, that's just a, a hard fact of. There's not a lot of us in in, in the mainstream at scale, and so um, it takes a bit getting used to for, for us as well as for um, retail partners when we're trying to educate on the consumer base that um, we automatically bring to the table. So it's just a lot more intimate engagement besides just a transaction as we grow, knowing that you know we can control our pace that we're bringing on the right partners that, one, have a, a product. Uh, gap opportunity, but then to want to continue to connect uh, their consumers to, you know, brands that and and brands that represent them and come from communities like them, uh, but also uh, want to have uh, more people engage into, you know, the future of their community as a whole.
0: And so, you know, can you talk a little about sort of how you approach growth and pace as a self-funded company are you having to sort of stop things and say like you know we we don't have the bandwidth to do that with that would you ever consider taking external money as you to really set that into motion how are you approaching all of those different aspects
1: um you know that's 2020 has left for a very rocky (laughs) mindset when it comes um but you know for us we you know we uh, in our commercial space that we were in, we we were sharing production space with the local brewery uh, in Des Moines, Iowa here. And uh, you know we're just getting ready to jump into our own space and then CoVID hit. And so we hit the brakes, you know, you know hunkered down. And as we got validation by way of Amazon actually, um, we were able to continue to move forward. We're now in a 10,000 square foot facility. Um, you know, we have more flexibility on how we finance, um, you know, with still, you know, maintaining ownership that uh, we know our capacity and our constraints are. It's a matter of, you know, are they, you know, personnel or are they equipment and lead times? And again, the, the, the um, you know, partnerships that we have with our retailers uh, and online uh, with, you know, supplying inventory um, allows us to, you know, be very real on not overshooting our opportunities and making sure we grow into uh, what we're doing from a sustainability standpoint, sustainability for our team. We're now a team of 12 um, probably a higher than that come next week um, from you know, a low of two, you know, come you know, beginning of April when, when COVID hit and we had to start scaling back. So, you know, we, we have the, the runway. It's a matter of, you know, making sure we don't get in our way of, you know, Tapping, in, tapping out of where we are and uh, exponential growth that can be had just because of the gap on uh, accessibility for the product, for the consumer.
0: How are you approaching uh, new e-commerce uh, like distribution points, ma- marketplaces? Are you content with where you are right now or are you thinking of going into new places or is that just sort of if the brick and mortar store offers an e-commerce site, you might add it to there? How are you just looking at all of that?
1: Yeah, I'm I each with the brick and mortar. kind of has to be the case here. Um, I think this, this, the, the capabilities of the retail partners definitely, uh, plays a bigger role. I, I love these aisles online. I think it's going you know, to, you know, top tier in the industry in the sense of, you know, e com locally, especially from a grocer. Um, uh, omnichannel has to be a byproduct of, because of your brand story and how you educate your consumer on what's beyond just the product uh, so uh, we definitely think of that hand in hand uh, the other uh, facet of you know a, a ecom only platform is you know what is the differentiator beyond just being an e-com storefront uh, outside of what amazon can bring us where we own more you know uh, uh, margin of control the the actual um Experience more as well, so you know it has to be a plus one on uh, why we would expand further in econ But with the you know uh, omni channel from a brick and mortar first standpoint, uh, allows for just more three hundred and sixty synergy for how we continue to uh, scale with those partners.
0: Got it. All right, Purnell, this has been such an interesting conversation. I really appreciate you joining us uh, today, and thanks for stopping by. Thank you,
1: Kale. Appreciate it.
0: And thank you for listening to the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday Media. Our theme music was produced by Pierre Biename. Ben Elman produced this episode. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating.